Hey Metro, I want to introduce you to an old friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. Her name is Alicia Smith. And Alicia, you have been around Metro since Flat Rock High. Flat Rock High. Yeah, That's a long coming. time. And uh, you, in the early days, were you were so involved with the life of our church. You were uh, everywhere. Like you helped start the original Trunk or Treats and yeah. you helped build that to this massive thing. And mm -hmm. you were involved with the welcome team and the connection center. Life group. And life Single, groups. Yeah. Singles life groups. And those were okay. good days. And so when Loved you them. came into the church, you were, were you, you already were a Christian. I was, right? um, I actually went to a private Christian school and I went to church my whole life. So my parents raised us in a Christian environment. So um, my relationship with God or coming to Metro, it wasn't like that was the first I ever heard about what Jesus had did for us. But um, really what happened is when I visited Flat Rock High was the first time the sermons were just so deep and they were so impactful to me. And it was just almost like a piece of me that had been just dead or sleeping for so many yeah. years. It just started coming to life. Metro was just like a world where where God just opened up all these doors where one of my one of my spiritual gifts is serving. And I think I just completely submerged myself in yeah. anything and everything that I could. Uh, but then this weird thing happened. Yeah. Uh, you were very involved for several years mm -hmm. and then it was literally like you disappeared. Mm -hmm. uh, you were you were gone all and of a sudden. Remember I that? had good friends here at the church who'd reached out to me, Chris Shamanic and several yeah. and you. And I, I remember writing you going, Alicia, did I do anything wrong? Yeah. Did I do something to hurt you? You know, and, yeah. but there was a shift in your life, a yep. shift in priorities. Yep. And, and and some of that, there was some good reasons, some of that you regret now. Yes. Uh, so tell us about that shift. Well, um, I think it was 37 when I actually got married. So prior to that, I was single. I had no children. Um, I had the privilege to do what I wanted when I wanted, but I met Wes here, we got married. Um, he had two children who were older. Uh, the youngest was 17, he had a daughter and a son, and um, being married, becoming a stepmom. Uh, it's like worked. a whirlwind, it's a whole different life. It was, it was a huge adjustment, and in the middle of it I decided, oh, I'm gonna go get a degree in healthcare, so. Uh, you know, I thought I'd take that on in addition to everything else. Um, but it was a but, huge life but adjustment. But it started to change. I mean, your heart started to change. It the did. The priority started to shift. It did. About a year and a half into our marriage, Wes and I were with, faced with a tragic situation. And uh, we ended up adopting a baby girl. Wow. And um, it was overwhelming, to be yeah. honest. Exciting, but overwhelming. Exciting yeah. and overwhelming. Yeah. That's right. I mean, what a gift. Like God, while I'm absent from him really in the church, God is so heavily involved yeah. in my life. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So I became a mom. Yeah. And uh, I think what ended up really happening to me was I, without knowing it, was allowing things to resonate in my heart and in my soul mm. that really were not of God. Yeah. Um, I didn't deliberately go out and do anything, you know, where I was Going doing crazy. wrong things, yeah. no. But I can tell you when you let bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, when you start letting that set on you, yeah. um, it will take away from your relationship with God. 
And really, that's what was happening. Yeah. I wasn't as focused as I was before. Yeah, and it doesn't take long, does it? For that it took to no shift. time. It took no time. And so, again, there's been this new shift in your life. Absolutely. Where, where the relationship with God has grown and you're shifting your priorities again. An unbelievable, Tell us about that. An unbelievable amount, Jay. It's so funny because here I said I'm 43 years old today, and I kid you not, um, in the last two years, God's turned me upside down. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I think about what he has shown me in this little bitty time, and I think about a lot of things that you would quote from your sermons, and one of them was, man's greatest pain is his regret. And I'll never forget that. And just recently you talked about the antidote for fear is faith. Yeah. And um, I felt like really God was speaking that into my life because during this time that I knew I was growing distant from God, I loved him. I loved God. Yeah. But he wasn't my priority no more yeah. because I let other things come in. And God started showing it and revealing these things to me without me even knowing. It was just happening, you know. So um, I was able to make amends with people that I never thought I would. Wow. I wrote them letters and, you know, at the end of the day, it just came down to forgiveness and putting all the garbage out and letting God just start pouring all his goodness back into me. And Alicia, it has been exciting for me uh, on the outside to watch you and Wes uh, Mm -hmm. kind of shift in this priority and Mm -hmm. to have this kind of comeback uh, that we're talking about. I am excited to see what God is going to do in you guys next. I'm unbelievably excited. Well, how are we doing? Welcome to Metro, especially those at our video campus. I got a question for you. How many of you have one of these? Anybody? Smartphone, smartphone, hands up all over. How about the video campus? You guys have them. Smartphones, almost everybody has a smartphone. And let me tell you something about the smartphone. We have a love-hate relationship with this thing, don't we? we? We love it, and then we love to hate it, right? And it's true, and I'll tell you why we love to hate it. It's because uh, this thing, this device has really taken over our lives. It's creeped into every area of our life. I mean, we are obsessed with the smartphone. We really, really are. Uh, As a a matter of fact, some studies show uh, that we are so obsessed with it that we would rather hand a total stranger our wallet or our purse rather than our phone. That's crazy, right? Uh, Some studies show that, uh, that we take the cell phone literally everywhere with us. True, it's true. We take it into the shower. We take it to the bathroom when we're doing bathroom things, right? Uh, and, and it's true because studies show that literally millions, and I mean millions of phones, end up in the shower or the toilet every single year. Every single year. Uh, it's crazy. As a matter of fact, some studies show that we are so obsessed with the phone that the average person looks at their phone 50 to, uh, to 75 times each and every day, which basically breaks out for the waking hours uh, five times every single hour. We're obsessed, right? We are obsessed. And I'm going to tell you why we love to hate it, though. Here's why. We love to hate it because this thing, it fills our hearts and it distracts us from the right things of life. This thing, let me say, so good, Pastor Jay, say it again. 
This thing fills us with things that distract us from the right thing. The, the buzzing and the beeping and the ringing, uh, they, when it goes off, it's like, it feels good because to some degree, if it says you're wanted, that somebody wants to connect with you or something matters to you or you matter to somebody. And so when the phone dings, we go, ooh, I got something. And so we immediately grab it, right? But let me tell you something, friends. The, the buzzing and the beeping and the ringing, really what they all are is a big distraction away from what really, really matters in our lives. Uh, we're beginning a brand new series called Comeback. And we've been talking about this a little bit last week on Easter that everybody loves a comeback, right? We love the movies. We love the stories when the guy is down and where he's beat. I mean, there's no hope. And all of a sudden he just rises from the ashes, right? And like he just takes over and he comes back and we're like, yeah, yeah, right? Because why? Everybody loves a comeback. Anybody here on Easter? Anybody here on Easter? We talked about the greatest comeback ever, right? I, mean, I want you to think about this. Jesus is the greatest comeback ever. Think about your history a little bit. Rome, Rome, the empire Rome thought that Jesus was just another name that would slip into history. Woo, were they wrong, right? I mean, you think about this. Even the earliest followers of Jesus thought he was done. They thought it was over. They thought it wasn't going nowhere. It was, it was done. He was down for the count. But yet we gather with billions of other believers every single weekend to talk about one name, the name of Jesus. You want to talk about a comeback? Anybody with me on that? You want to talk about a comeback? And, and friends, listen, uh, this whole idea of a comeback, that the comeback of Christ, his resurrection, it means something to you and to me. It is God's desire Listen to me, friends. It is God's desire that he orchestrates a comeback in your life and in my life. And, and I don't care who you are. Every single person in this place needs a comeback in one area or another in your life. You've let some area of your life slip. You've let some area of your life get away from you. And you know full well in your heart that you want a comeback. You want to change something. You want to do something. You want to move somewhere different in your life. And so in this series, we're going to talk about some comebacks that I think a whole bunch of us need. We're going to talk about this idea that some of us need a financial comeback. Anybody? Yeah. Come on. I mean, we're in a place financially where we go, well, I don't even know how I got here, but it's a mess, right? We can't even buy a Diet Coke for crying out loud. And I don't know that God wants us to live that way. We need a comeback. There's people in this room, this is going to get me in trouble right now, I'm going to tell you this, but it's going to get me in trouble that, that some of us need to come back in our health. Amen. We don't know how we got here, but we don't like where we're at. And it needs to change. And we need, we need, we need a comeback, right? Uh, we're going to talk about other areas of comeback that a whole bunch of us need. We're going to talk about areas of uh, like our marriages or like our parenting and these issues of life that have just kind of gotten away from us. And we need to figure out how to dial back in and come back to really what God wants us to become. And, and so I thought it would be appropriate for us to begin our little series uh, with this. We're going to talk about a comeback with our priorities. Y'all with me? A comeback to our priorities or to your priorities. And it doesn't take much, if you think about it, it doesn't take much at all. And it doesn't take very long for, for something that you want something that you planned, something that you committed to, listen to me, something that you dreamed about to slip away, right? It's true, isn't it? That we have these great notions of life, these great dreams of life, and it just doesn't take long before what was a commitment, what was a priority becomes nothing more than a broken promise and a letdown. 
and a disappointment to us. And it doesn't matter what area, all of a sudden, uh, these commitments, these priorities are broken promises to your kids, to your husband maybe, to your wife, maybe to your friends, maybe to your family, maybe to your finances, maybe to yourself. And listen, for many in this room, because of the shifting of your priorities, it's become nothing more than a broken promise to God himself. And you're not, you're not who you dreamed of being. And you're not becoming who you know God wants you to become. And so I just think it's appropriate that maybe we would dial into this idea of, of priorities because the truth is, is you're gonna end up somewhere. You might as well end up somewhere on purpose. Come on, am I right? You might as, you're gonna end up somewhere, you're gonna end up becoming something and you might as well plan what you're gonna become and get there on purpose. Because whether you like it or not, you're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna like who you are or you're gonna be very disappointed with who you are. And so we might as well get somewhere that we like. And so we're gonna talk about this idea of priorities a little bit. Listen to this, I don't know if you know this fellow, but German writer Johann Wolfgang von Goth. I'm sure many of you guys spend a lot of time reading his material, he's amazing. Uh, but he said this, he had this grasp of the importance of priorities and he said it like this. He says, things that matter most must never be at the mercy of things that matter least. Woo, you hear that? Things that really are important to you should not come at the expense of things that are trivial. That things that just really don't matter very much. So he says, somehow we gotta get around this idea that priorities do matter. The right things do matter in life. Stephen Covey, many of you guys have heard of Stephen Covey. He wrote the one, runaway bestseller, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I highly recommend this book to you. Uh, it is uh, an amazing little read. And Stephen Covey writes it like this in his book. He says, as a longtime student of this fascinating field of life and time management, I, personally, uh, I am personally persuaded that the essence of the best thinking in the area of time management can be captured in one single phrase. Organize and execute your priorities or around your priorities. Woo! Could you imagine the power of just defining what you want out of life and then going just for that? Could you imagine the power of organizing your life around things that really do matter to you? Anybody ever get caught off guard and all of a sudden you find all your time spinning around in circles of life that really just aren't that important to you? Come on. And you find, why am I doing this? What is going on with me? Well, Stephen Covey says, the power is when you figure out what your priorities are and then you put your efforts there. Um, and, and listen to this, this is, uh, this is incredible. It came out of the 90s, way back in the 90s. I don't think much good came out of the 90s. Uh, but, but, th but this is really fascinating to me. It's a little book called The Common Denominator of Success. It is a brilliant little book. It is unbelievable. And it was written by a guy named E.M. Gray. And uh, he spent his lifetime really uh, trying to figure out what makes successful people a success. So he looks at a wide variety of people in business, uh, in the marketplace, uh, in sports, in entertainment, uh, in, in the, in the preaching type of world. He, he looks at all of these people who have great levels of success, uh, successful marriages, whatever it was. He, he just he got around this idea of success. And what he writes about it is, is incredible. Listen to what he says. He says uh, that he found that successful people didn't come because of just hard work or because of good luck or because of they had a 
astute human relationship abilities. He said though all of those things are important. Listen, all of those things are very important. He said the common denominator for successful people, people who achieve what they want to achieve in life, he says the common denominator was this, quote, the one factor that seemed to transcend all of the rest was putting first things first. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Come on, doesn't it? And it makes sense, right? So think about this. Setting the right priorities for your life, setting the right goals and dreams for your life is is vital to the success of every single area of your life. Um, and, and you do realize that you have a set of priorities. Everybody look at me for a second. Everybody look at, right at me. You do realize that you have a set of priorities. You may not have them written down. You may be junky at following them, but you have them. And whether you realize it or not, some of your priorities have been all rearranged and now you are orchestrating your life around a set of priorities that you really don't want for your life. And so I think we need to start to rethink a little bit about what it is that we're running after because my guess is that a whole bunch of you, probably most of you in this room are like me. Not everybody, but you come into this place and the reason that you're here is because somewhere near the top of your list of priorities is your relationship with God. You, you come here because you're like, I want to work on this. I want to get this thing right. I want to take my next steps with God. I, I can tell you for me, friends, is that very important to my life. At the top of my life list is to get this God-man relationship right in order to enter eternity right with God. That is very important to me. And my guess is it's a whole bunch of importance to a whole bunch of you, right? It's big to a whole bunch of us. But here is what happens to every single one of us. We have this desire to do it right with God, but it just doesn't take long before all the beeping and the buzzing and the ringing goes off and we're distracted. Come on. We're taken off of what we really want for our lives. We have the best of intentions. We leave like a place like this on a weekend experience and we're fired up and then Monday comes and it is downhill quick. We get distracted and we become less than what we want to become. And, and so I want to read something to you that I just think is, is vitally important and it sort of sets a, a list of priorities out there for us. And, and I don't know if you've heard of this before, but there is this, this little list. There's this little list in the Bible called the Ten Commandments. Anybody? Have you heard of these? Okay. I don't know if it's even legal to talk about these anymore, but we're going to talk about them because apparently God thinks they're very, very important, right? And so God looks at humanity, that would be me and you, at the very beginning of humanity, near the beginning of humanity, and he says, wow, these people are kind of screwing things up. And he says they have the best of intentions in so many ways, but they cannot seem to get the big things right, even the simple things right. And so literally he gives us this list and, and it's interesting to me, very interesting to me. He calls these commandments, not suggestions, not options, not like do it if you like, maybe you'll get around to this. He says, this is important. They're called commandments. You gotta do this in order to be right with me. These are like the bare essence of it, right? And I just wanna read the very First one to you. Here's what he says. God is speaking to the heart of humanity. And he says this, and this is in Exodus chapter 20, verse two. He says, I am the Lord your God 
who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember the whole Moses deal? Anybody remember you got Moses, they're living in slaves and God says to go to the Pharaoh, let my people go and he sends the plagues and Moses takes the people out and gives them the promised land. He says, yeah, I'm that God. You thought you did that by yourself? Are you kidding me? Frogs, locusts, blood, that was all me. That was all me, not you. I did that for you. Remember who I am. And he says this, I am the God who saved you out of Egypt. I am the God who saved you from yourself. And he says, I got one thing to tell you. It's the very most important thing. It's the top thing. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You will not, you cannot, you must not, you won't have any other gods in front of me you will be tempted to worship a whole bunch of things. You will be tempted to run after a whole bunch of things to fill your soul. You'll be tempted to move in areas that you know full well that will separate you from me. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Keep me first. Keep me most, keep me highest. You shall not worship or run after the affections of anything that will take you away from me. Jesus, he comes along and he says it a different way. He says the same thing, but a completely different way. Uh, he is asked one time, what is the most important commandment? What is the greatest commandment? What is the one thing that you would tell me about my relationship with God? And you know what Jesus said? This is the most important words Jesus ever said in regards to our relationship with God. Here's what he says. Speaking in Matthew chapter 22, he says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest of all the commandments. And then he says this, and the second commandment is very much like it. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. For uh, all of the law and all of the prophets, they hang on these two commands. And so I want you to think about this. Jesus took all of the 10 commandments and he summarized them in basically two statements. And he basically said, the two are one. He says, I want you to love God and I want you to love other people. If you want to know how to get your relationship with God right, he says, you figure out how to love him and then love the people around you and you're going to do just fine. He says, this is the essence because God is love. You're going to love him with everything that you have. Then you're going to take that love that God pours into you and you're going to pour that love into those around you. It's that easy. That sums up the God-man relationship. Have you guys heard this before, right? That, that we ought to love God with everything that we have. Um, growing up, I remember that um, I was taught about this God-man relationship in kind of a visual uh, sort of a way. Uh, maybe you've heard this before, but there's like this list that you're given, right? And I don't know if you ever heard this. Have you heard this before? Like, you ought to love God most. He's like number one on the list. God ought to be first. Anybody hear this before? God ought to be first in your life. And then, I don't know, maybe your spouse, or and then your kids, or maybe you can call that just your family, and then maybe extended family, and then friends. Anybody ever hear this before? And then like work, and you get this list. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You, you know what I'm talking about people on video. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so, so here, here's what we do is we make this list, and God is supposed to be at the top of this list. And then it's all these other things, our health, our finances, our hobbies, our entertainment. All of this comes below, right? But, but well, what's the problem with this? What's the problem with having a list? The problem with a list is that the list can move. 
is that the list can change. Your priorities can shift. And so here's what happens to a whole bunch of us, even in this room, this just happens, is that like early on in your life, you're like, wow, God is at top, man. He is, his, his fire is burning bright in me and, and I'm out looking to do life in a way to honor God. But then what happens is, is you meet her. You meet her and you're like, woo, I like her. And, and so all these other things, you've got career and finances and health and all of these things up here, friendships and your relationship with God, but she becomes way important. And so she's just moving up. You used to hit the gym seven days a week. Now it's more like four, right? You used to be like st- stuffing money away in the old 401 savings account, IRA, right? But now it's like not so much anymore. We're going, we're going way up the chain. Like she is really getting important. And all of a sudden you think you love her. Right? And the priorities are shifting around and all this stuff is moving in your life because she's raising up the priority list. And then all of a sudden, without even realizing it, here's what happens to so many of us. She, or maybe in your case, he, gets right up here next to God. And you're like, oh no, it's good because I love God and she loves God and it's awesome and it's all gonna be good. But let me tell you something. Because she has become so important This is what happens. A shift starts to happen. A paradigm shift, a priority shift. And because kids come along and all of a sudden they are so important to you and life is happening so fast that God was meant to be up here and you want him here and he's still in the mix, but all of a sudden he's down there and oh my goodness, these kids, I mean, they're expensive. She's expensive, but they're really expensive. And so, man, you used to have it all together, but now like you're working all the time and you used to have this idea that I'm gonna save and I'm gonna do it right and it's gonna be awesome. But life happens. And all of a sudden, before you even realize it, he's in the mix, but he's not on top. He's not where he belongs. And it happens in all kinds of areas. I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, Some of us at one time had a priority shift where maybe when we're young, we're like, we saw our parents and uh, money was difficult for them. And, and uh, we, we determined that we were going to be, when we're young, we were going to spend wisely. We were, we were going to live generously, give generously, and we were going to invest for the future. But then it just shifts around and all of a sudden you find yourself working all the time and all those ambitions and everything just shifts on you. Or maybe, uh, here's something, and I don't mean to offend you by this, but, but when you were young, uh, you saw your parents getting old and you were thinking if mom and dad would have just worked on their health when they were 20 and 30 and 40, 50s and 60s wouldn't have been so bad. But then you wake up and you thought it was, I had it all in order and I was gonna honor God with my body. But now you've waken up and you're 50 pounds overweight and you can barely move and you feel broken every day of your life and you know in your heart that that's not what you want for your life but you let all of these other things take over. You know, some of us in this room, uh, we, we love God but then it became just one drink of something. Then it became just one hit of something. And then it became just one look at something. And all of a sudden, 10, 15 years later, your heart has no purity left. 
your heart has none of God left. I mean, he's in there somewhere. It's down deep. It's buried in there. But you are not what you want. And your relationship with God is very distant from you. And you never intended it. You didn't want it to end up this way. But it just does. Something happens. And so, um, what I'd like to do is I want to spend some time rethinking our priorities. I want to rethink the way we think about our priorities. And uh, I just think it'd be appropriate uh, that we would just start with prayer. And I know it's a little late to start with prayer and some of you are already freaked out. Like, oh my gosh, this is the longest opening ever before he even gets to the opening prayer. We're going to be here all day. I promise not. But can we just, I just think it'd be appropriate at both of our campuses that we would just take a moment and ask God to help us rethink this so we don't end up somewhere where we don't want to end up. So Father in heaven, all across our campuses, for those watching online, God, I pray that your spirit would speak into our lives. God, that we'd be honest with ourselves. That we would look deeply and reflect and ask you, God, to, to, to open our minds, to open our hearts to what you want for us and from us. Speak, oh God, say this to him, speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen. So in the next few moments, I, I want to tell you uh, a little story, and then I want to take some observations from the life of Jesus about how we can possibly uh, rearrange things. Because if we're not careful, we're going to end up with all the wrong things in our life. And, and so I remember uh, this whole idea of me, I, I grew up thinking that this is the way you think about God. And you know what, this isn't bad but I don't know that this is the correct way to think about our priorities. Okay, I want you to hear me out. I remember sitting in a uh, marriage, kind of a counseling session, a mentoring session that I was doing with a young couple here at church. And uh, they, we were in my office and uh, it was a young man who was a Christian. He was wanting to follow Christ with his life. He wanted to, to really do it right, a good man. And uh, he was married to a woman who really was not a follower of Jesus by her own admission. And they were having a lot of trouble. It was very difficult. And uh, they hadn't been married very long. And there was a ton of selfishness, um, a ton of envy and comparison going on. It was just a very unhealthy young marriage. Very unhealthy. And we get into this, and all of a sudden, <laughs> this young lady says to me, she says, well, I don't like his list of priorities. I said, oh, you got a list of priorities? He goes, yeah. And she, I go, well, what's on his list of priorities? What don't you like? And she says this. She says, well, he says to me that my priority, speaking for the husband, she said, he says to me that it goes God, me, the kids, work, health, fun, investments, all that goes down the list. And I'm thinking to myself, sounds pretty good to me. You know, I'm thinking, this is kind of like you want a guy like this. I'm thinking, but she said some things that made a light bulb go on in my mind. And something changed inside of me that I realized that maybe this isn't the full way of thinking about our relationship with God. And so in this moment, I said, well, help me understand what the problem is with this. And she says, well, when he, when he says it's God than me, I feel like when he says I have to love God first, that means I love, he loves me less. And isn't love supposed to be all the way in? And I'm thinking to myself, that's true. It's true. 
And, and she goes, well, when he says, I got to go to church because it fills my soul, he's saying to me that when I'm with you, I don't fill your soul. I'm thinking, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. And when he gives money to support your church, he says, I want to give to support the church. But, but that means that he's taking from me and not giving to me what I need for me and the kids. And, and she went down the list about all of these things when he goes and serves and gets involved with your teenage ministries that you all do there, that he takes that from me and, and I'm not getting what I deserve out of this, right? And so in this little session that we were having, I, I remember my, my office is always messy, thank God for that, because there was this napkin on my desk and a pen nearby and I grabbed this napkin. I said, let me explain this a little bit better to you. And I just kind of thought out loud a little bit. And I said, maybe you don't understand what it means to have a God-centered relationship. Maybe you're thinking about this list and you keep getting pushed down the list, but maybe, maybe it's not a list at all. Maybe instead of a list where he's on top and then there's second place, third place, fourth place, and your kids end up feeling like they're fifth place, and maybe it's not that at all. Maybe the relationship with God is more like circles, more like circles. And so on this little napkin, I drew a circle and, and I put God in, in the middle of this little circle and it looked something like this. And then I said, if God... For, for what your husband is trying to say, if I hear you correctly, is he's saying he wants God to be at the center of his life. That he wants his love for you to flow out of his centered relationship with God. Does that make sense to you? And, and so uh, I said, for Christians, there is this little verse in the Bible, in the book of Acts. It says, for in Christ, for in him, it says we live and move and have our being. In other words, everything that we are is found in Christ. For in him, we find everything we need for life. And it's important to us that God is in the center, and we would often call that the top place in our life. And you think it's a competition between you and God going on down. But what if, but what if, instead of a list, you had a circle called family or wife or children or whatever it is. And it looked sort of like this instead where, where the family overlapped the relationship with God. I thought, now, I want you to think about this. I would say that if your husband learns to love God and has God at the center of his life, my guess is, is that he's going to love you better than he could ever have loved you before. Right? And if God could learn, if, if, if this guy could learn to love God and move and have his being centered in God, my guess is that he's going to be a better father than he ever was before. Right? And so you could say family and, and friends and the same thing in your relationship with friends or you could go on to finances or, uh, uh, or work life or, or health or, or any of these issues, right? And, and it just keeps going on and on. Like put, put, put the last one. So that looks strangely like a tambourine, doesn't it? Glory to God. I'm just, I'm just saying. Okay, but, 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 but isn't this true though? Isn't this what it means to have a God-centered life? That everything that you are flows out of the relationship with God. And that sometimes in life, listen to me, friends, sometimes when you got four kids like me and one kid needs a little bit more of you, 
and you give yourself a little bit more to that kid. It's actually loving the other three, right? Because you're creating a home where what is needed is met, right? And what if there's times, thank God, that you just need to get rid of the kids altogether and just spend some time together as a couple? Isn't that actually loving my kids? And isn't that inviting God into the middle of that mix? Or what if, if, if by, 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 by serving at your church, by me and Lynette serving at our church, what if I'm actually teaching my kids what Jesus actually looks like? What, what if I'm actually modeling for my children what most honors God? And what if by my wife and I giving faithfully to our church models a generosity that we're gonna want one day in their life? And that they're going to need one day. Why? Because God is generous and God is grateful, graceful, right? And God is good. And so we need to model that for our kids. And, and so what if by saying no for a little time in your spending, you're actually saying yes to your future, right? So you think about it differently that it's not so much, because listen, there are times, there are times in life where uh, it is the way to love God the most and to love your family mo the most is to actually work a lot, right? Because there are times that you're flat broke or something happened, your kid breaks an arm or your car goes out for the third time and you're like, honey, I gotta pick up some extra shifts and you can't do this forever, but you know what, for a season you'll do that, why? Because it is most loving your family to do this, to move her and the kids down and you're gonna, I'm gonna grin and bear this and I'm gonna be man and I'm gonna get done what I need to get done in life. Right? And maybe it is most loving your family if you begin to take care of your body and your wife wants you home and, and like you got to go to the gym just because I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, I got to lose some weight. And you go to, she's going to like you better anyways in the long run. Right? But isn't that long run better? No matter what? Or maybe you have to take some time and you got to go back to college and your kids need you. You know that. But for a season, it's better for you to go back to college at night and work really hard for a season so why you can have the best rest of your life together. All I'm saying is that it works together, that it's a picture with God in the middle and the center of everything. And, and so, friends, um, I want us to talk a little bit about this idea of how do we make this happen? How do we keep God at the center? And I think Jesus is our example I think Jesus is the one that we look to. Y'all with me on this? And so let's learn some things, some lessons from, from Jesus. And, and, and here is what uh, I find to be very interesting about our relationship, uh, following, our, our, making our relationship with God reflect in our relationship with, or learn from our relationship with Christ. You see, because Christ modeled time management for us in the wisest possible ways. You probably never thought about this as Jesus as your time management guru. But, but he was. And I get it, it's very different. Listen, uh, he lived in a very different uh, world than, than we live in. Uh, I want you to think about this. He, he, he lived quite differently than us. He didn't have a spouse or kids. Uh, he, he wasn't required that we know of to have some 40-hour-a-week job where he punched in and punched out. He didn't commute in an hour-long traffic rush hour type of thing. He didn't have an email or a message box that was overflowing with messages. He didn't have electricity and all the uh, technology that kind of clouds up our life and all that. Uh, and, and so... His, his life was different, but at the same time, he didn't have all the things that made life convenient like we have. He didn't have a car. When it says that he walked from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, that was a 30-mile walk on foot, 
right? We just hop in our car and make that happen in 10 minutes, right? Or half hour or whatever it is, you know? Uh, when we want to talk to somebody, what do we do? We email them, text them, call them, you know, message them. We can do it. You had to actually go and talk to somebody, right? And so the very thing, like he didn't have a microwave. He didn't have a refrigerator. He didn't have any of the things that make life easy for us. His life was different. But one of the things that you're going to learn is when you look at the life of Jesus, he was busy. He was very busy. As a matter of fact, he was so busy that in the book of Mark, which is the shortest book in the Bible that records the story of Jesus' life, in the book of Mark, not once, but twice, it says that Jesus was so busy, he was so busy that he didn't even have time to eat. Now, listen, I'm busy, but I always find time to eat. You do not get this if you skip that, okay? It's just all there is to it, okay? Uh, but, but Jesus was so busy that he didn't even have time to eat. It, it's, it's actually quite... Remarkable. Uh, and here's what we're going to learn from Jesus. And, he, and you may want to write this down. This is so important. We need to learn to say no like Jesus said no. We need to learn to say no like Jesus said no. Some people are very uncomfortable with the idea of disappointing anyone. Am I right? Come on. You know what I'm talking about? I'm one of those people. I want to make people happy around me. Uh, but the truth is uh, that we can think that if we are kind, that you'll never disappoint somebody else. Uh, people will think that if they try hard enough or work hard enough or manage their time well enough, if you're selfless enough, prayerful enough, godly enough, that you will not disappoint somebody else. I fear if you think like that, that you are in for a major, major letdown with your life. You really are because I am that person. I don't want to let people down. I'll just be honest with you. Um, I didn't get into ministry because I didn't like people. I got into ministry because I like people. I remember thinking uh, early on, I was thinking, man, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to write this message for the people. And then I get interrupted 14 times by people. And then I talked to this older pastor and he says, Jeremy, people aren't an interruption. They are your ministry. They're the reason you're doing this right? And, and I get it. And that's why I got into this. And, and, and I'll be more honest than that. I don't want to let people down, but truthfully, I want people to think I'm competent. I want people to think I'm a hard worker. I want people to think that I can handle a lot in life. Don't you? Right? You, you want that, right? But the problem is, is here's what we learn. It doesn't take long to figure out that you will never meet everybody else's expectations. You will never, ever meet the never-ending list of demands and requests and expectations over you. You won't. Anybody? Y'all with me on that? Uh, this is the thing I know for sure, that along the way, you will disappoint others. Somewhere along the way, you will not meet somebody else's expectations. You will not be able to fulfill their requests. There will be something left undone or what you do do, it won't be good enough uh, because the demands of life are just that way, that you can never meet them all. And when you don't meet them all, here's what happens. Here's what happens. People start talking bad about you. They start putting it on Facebook. Oh, I thought Pastor so-and-so really cared about people. He's got this big old church on Eureka, but I'm not going to name him. Right? And they will let the world know that you let them down. But here is the good news. Here is the good news. Y'all ready for some good news? Here's the good news. You get to decide who you're going to disappoint. <laughs> right? Because you're going to disappoint somebody. You just better disappoint the right somebodies, right? Uh, and, and let me tell you something else about disappointment. Um, disappointment gets easier over time. 
When you realize that you're not Superman or Wonder Woman, where you just can't do it all and become all, disappointment gets easier over time. Look at this. There's an amazing insight that comes from the life of Jesus. Mark chapter one. Uh, I want, want you to think about this. Jesus comes on the scene and he's healing people. He's making blind people see. And, and I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if you're into that. But the Bible just records these stories one after another where he comes on the scene and when you heal somebody, this is what I've learned. This is crazy. When you heal somebody who could not walk and now they walk, who are blind, now they see. that They were deaf, but now they hear. Um, you, track, you attract the crowd, right? That makes sense. And every time Jesus showed up anywhere, people came like, whoa, I want some of that, right? And that makes sense. And so these people were crowding around him constantly. And one day he's on the scene in the book of Mark, uh, chapter one, and he's doing all this stuff. And people are like, I want some of that. And they're crowding in. Eventually he goes in for the night. The very next morning, before it's even light outside, like 5.30 in the morning, something ridiculous like that, never come to my house at 5.30 in the morning, you're going to get nothing from me, period. Okay. But 5.30 in the morning, I hate mornings, but Jesus is getting up and guess what happens? He, he opens up the door, like, oh, crowd of people already before daybreak. There's a crowd of people outside. He slams the door. He goes, oh, we got a problem. Now listen to this. Listen to what happens. This is interesting. Verse 35, chapter one. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still what? Dark, completely ungodly to get some guy out of bed like this. But Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So he goes and he gets alone and he spends some time with his father in heaven. And then it says, Simon and his companions went to look for him and they found him and they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And I'm thinking to myself, it's 5.30 in the morning. Nobody should be looking for me, right? That's the point, right? And so Jesus replies to them. All right, all right, we got a big crowd. We got, a, we got an issue. Let's go somewhere else. Wow. <laughs> Think about that. These people are coming to him because they want something from him. Because they saw him give this same group of people something yesterday. They say, well, if he's got it yesterday, he can give it to us today. Because I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm blind, I'm broke, I need some of that. And so they come expecting more. And what does he say? Let's not give it to him. Let's go somewhere else. Because why? It says to a nearby village so that I can preach there also. That is why I have Come, and let me tell you something, friends. Learn to say no. Learn to say no. You catching this? All of these expectations, all of these demands, all of these opportunities, the disciples were like, Jesus, this is great. We're gonna be loaded. They're coming like in droves. We're gonna charge tickets and put them in line, and we're gonna one at a time, 10 bucks each. We're gonna make a, we're gonna kill it, right? And Jesus says, no. We're gonna go out the back door to a whole nother town. Think about this, right? Let's go somewhere else, anywhere else. Learn to say no, and here's why, here's why, here's why. Not so that you can be selfish. Would anybody say Jesus was ever selfish? Don't you dare talk bad about Jesus, right? Listen, he says, it's not so that you can slip off and entertain yourself right into the grave. It's not so that you can uh, just spend another hour seeing how many followers you got or retweets you got in the middle of the night, right? But why? You need to learn to say no so that you can say yes to what God is truly calling you to. I thought that was pretty good. You need to learn to say no to the wrong things so you can say yes to the right things. You need to learn to say no to some things so you can say yes to greater things in your life. Y'all with me on this? Uh, there's this guy, named, uh, his, uh, this guy named Kevin DeYoung. He's a pastor and he has a book called Crazy Busy. And uh, it's so good. He says this, Jesus understood his mission. 
Uh, He was not driven by the needs of others, though he often stopped to help hurting people. He was not driven by the approval of others, though he cared deeply for lost and broken people. Ultimately, Jesus was driven by the spirit of God. He was driven by his God-given mission. He knew his priorities and he did not let the many temptations of a busy life deter him from the task at hand. Y'all hearing this? Y'all hearing this? Jesus' devotion to the mission that the Father sent him on gave him his ability to say no. The, The work that he was doing with the people every day was good and it was important, but he had a bigger mission to just tell the world about the love of God. And it wasn't that he would heal everybody. That was not his mission. That was a byproduct of who he was. His mission was to bring the grace of God, the kingdom of God to earth. Now listen to me, friends. This is gonna sound terrible. This is gonna sound terrible. You may kick me out of my job. But this is what I think. Even though there were undoubtedly more people in need of healing and teaching the day Jesus says, no, let's get out of here, Jesus still walked away. Even though there were needs that he could have met. Though he cared for the people, listen to me, he focused not on the people, but he focused on what God was calling him to. That's big. If we're going to keep this God at the center of our life, it is important to understand what God is calling you to. Uh, We need to learn to say no to things that distract us easily. We need to uh, figure out the things that are really important to us and run after those things. If we want some sort of different order in our life, then we better decide what the order needs to be and run after that. Y'all hearing me? Y'all hearing me? Listen, it's a spiritual practice to say no. It is a spiritual discipline to say no to lesser things in order to get greater things. It is a spiritual habit to decide and to discern what God is calling you to. Amen? Amen. Here's a second lesson, and we're going to be real quick on this. Um, And this is so hard for me. This does not come naturally to me at all. But we need to learn to say no, and then we need to learn to get alone. Come on. We need to learn to say no, and then we need to learn to get alone. Let me just read a very simple passage of scripture. Luke chapter five, verse 15 and 16. People again, boom, packing it all around him. He says, it says, yet the news about him spread all the more. And I'm thinking to myself, no kidding, no kidding. You make blind people see, and everybody thinks they're gonna free free pair of eyeglasses. It's just like crazy, right? And, And this is what happens. Yet, News about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came near to him in order to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often, what's this word? Withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. This is one of the hardest things for me to do. One of the hardest things in the world. And I'm a pastor for crying out loud. Everything in the world is noisy to me. Everything in the world is attractive to me. Um, I, I'm like, a, uh, like that kid who's like, da, 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 squirrel. You know, um, because I'm just wired like that. You think about our world. Everything in our world is designed to sell you something, to get your attention, to be shiny little dangling objects for you to bite at. Everything. And to quiet your soul seems next to impossible. But friends, if we're ever going to get back to God being the center, to have no other gods before us, you got to find time to be with God. Now listen, we, we get these phones right here and if you're like me probably like most of you don't tell me I'm alone in this but like within minutes of you getting up who messaged me did I get any good emails did anybody like my post right did anybody retweet me you know that's what we do don't don't I'm not alone I'm not alone come on 
But what if, I'm just saying, what if we took this same technology that so easily distracts and what if we loaded it up for something good? What if when you first rolled out of bed and you grabbed your phone and instead of having 14 messages right on the top is version. I use version. It's an app on your phone. And I get this thing loaded every day. It's called Verse of the Day. It's called my daily reading plan. It's the first thing in my morning. And I go, I, I, I literally have to shut that off in order to go deeper in my phone. But what if we purposely loaded it up? And some of you are morning people, right? Some of you like to spend your day reflecting and thinking. I think that's crazy. I'm not a morning person at all. Some of you are lunchtime people. Now think about this. What if in your busyness of your business, in your mothering, it's crazy, your house is crazy. What if you could just take five minutes and pull away from the world and get alone with God and just read one little thing that would take you somewhere different? What if you were to pray just one little thing that would, that would move your heart a little bit? What, what, like for me, I'm a nighttime person and, and I try every day to read something that would fill my soul and some way I can talk to God and I pray. And usually it's after my house is quiet and I'm a night guy. That's just how I operate. I don't know how you're wired, but I know what you need and you need to connect with God deeply in your soul. Oh, man, I'm out of time. Time management. I was going to talk about Jesus taught us something else. He taught us to flow, to follow the Spirit's lead in your life, to not be caught up with the shiny objects of this world, but to dial into the voice of God, to hear His Spirit lead you. You have no, men, especially men, you have no idea what it's like to hear the voice of God and respond to it and see God use you. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. It'll free you It'll bring you somewhere where you never thought you could be. But we are so content with just sitting around watching TV. When God says you will not end up where you want to be like that, you need something more. I'm just saying, we need to learn to say no. We need to learn to get alone. And trust me, you need to follow the flow. You need to follow the flow. It's the best I could come up with. Give me a break, okay? All right, y'all with me? All right. Don't get caught up in this. Don't get caught up in this. Look at me. Get caught up with this. Right here. In the center of who you are. You worried about your finances? You do that with Christ. You work on your health? You do that with Christ. You work on your marriage, you do that with Christ. You work on your singleness, you do that with Christ. You work on your parenting, you do that with Christ. You work on your home, you, you do that with Christ. Y'all hear me on this? You work on your hobbies, you do that with Christ. Right here in the middle. Right here in the middle. Glory to God.